Blog Talk Radio. Tune in every Monday from 10 a.m. to 12 to Awake with All Set on Evolution Radio, where the revolution is the evolution. Hey, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm super excited about today's show. Thank you for joining. It is Monday. You are on Awake with All Set on New Evolution Radio, where the evolution is the revolution. Last night, you should have been on the show with Brother Joey the HNIC of the station, making sure that you are getting your, your civics and all of that good stuff right, and Brother Jonah on Fridays, and I'm the goddess of the station, sister taking all the, all the femininity, holding it down to balance out that masculinity. So welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Monday. Uh, we have a very, very, very special guest, Brother Taj, and I'm excited to bring him on. But as usual, we are going to start our show off the way that we do in our guided meditation. So I just need everybody to take a deep breath. And I don't know about everybody's weather, but here in Colorado, it's snowy and warm. I'm sure we're going to have an influx of live listeners today because most folks are off. We appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you listening to the recorded shows. We are at 50,000-plus listeners. That can only happen because you are doing the the tell-a-friend to tell-another-friend. Shout-out to everybody who shares the flyers for me and all of that good stuff. So let's just take a deep breath. And in the spirit of, of my brother being the guest today, I want us to focus on truth. I want us to focus on justice and understanding that universal law, God's law, always renders justice. I want you to think about a time where you may have thought justice was not granted and release that. Just that the universe, karma, whatever you want to call it, was given back. Release the idea that you have to be the one to see the justice. And getting to with knowing that justice is always served. Again, in the spirit of my brother, focus on truth, standing in integrity. And not folding to conform, especially our, our melanated people, the Moors. As Moes, we, we have to understand the importance of being firm standing on our square. And release any grudges you're holding, any animosity. Deep breath in and accept understanding, patience, and forgiveness. 
we often don't know why things happen, why the lessons repeat. And it's usually because we're too blocked, taking things personal. Release the idea of you ever losing. You only accomplish or learn. To be thankful for all of those hardships. Celebrate getting through them. And understanding that they made you better made you stronger, made you wiser. Then we go through hardships and we accomplish and then we don't want to we don't want to revisit. But you have to revisit in order to appreciate the lesson and gain full understanding. Naming it, calling it out. No coincidence, the journey that this brother is going to share with us is so similar to so many of our journeys and learning from others' experiences, being humble. A deep breath in. True community, having brothers and sisters constantly in your corner, appreciating that. Keep that focus on truth, justice, balance, and understanding. We're going to take a quick, quick break. Come back in, do a wonderful intro. So we're going to be back with Brother Taj. Bucka, 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 bucka. Ha ha. You know the devil? This is me, though. Beast by Supremo for all of my people, Negroes and Latinos, and even the gringos. Check it, one for Charlie Hustle, two for Steady Rock, three for the four coming live, future shock. It's five dimensions, six senses, seven firmaments of heaven and hell, eight million stories to tell. Nine planets faithfully keep an orbit with the probable tenth. The universe expands length, the body of my text possess extra strength. Power lifted, powerless, up, out of this, tower and inferno. My ink so hot it burned through the journal. I'm black at midnight on Broadway and Myrtle. Hip-hop past all your tall social hurdles like the nationwide projects prison. Industry complex, working class poor, better keep your alarm set. Streets too loud to ever hear freedom ring. Say you're back in with your sleep. It's dangerous to dream, but your chain cats get they chip back. You dead now. Killing fields need blood to grade the cash cow. The numbers game, but shit don't add up somehow. Like I got 16 to 32 bars to rock it, but only 15% of profits ever seen my pockets. Like 69 billion in the last 20 years spent on national defense, but folks still live in fear. Like nearly half of America's largest cities is one quarter black. It's why they gave Ricky Ross all the crap. 16 ounces to a pound, 20 more to a key. A five minute sentence here and then you no longer free. 40% of Americans own a cell phone so they can hear everything that you say when you ain't home. I guess Michael Jackson was right. You were not alone. Rock your hard hat black as you in the 
buried on full of hard niggas, large niggas, dice tumblers, young teens of prison greens placing life numbers, crack mothers, crack babies, and AIDS patients, young blood can't spell, but they can rock you a PlayStation, snoo mappers with my motherfuckers ass, you wanna know how to rhyme, you better learn how to add, it's mathematics, mighty most definitely, it's simple mathematics, check it out,
was one of the first Muslim brothers that came into my life as a big brother. Um, it helped me understand Islam and understand the Quran and all of that good stuff. Um, throughout the years, always was like this consistent, just, hey, make sure you stay on your team, make sure you do whatever. Uh, in, in great points of my life, when I was strong in Islam, when I was wilding, when I was all of that, He's always been a really, really dope uh, big brother for me and was really, really honored. Um, to, we, we got closer in the last couple of years. Um, we really got close. Uh, he was there. Gosh, he was there my first marriage when my children were born. I mean, he was, he's just been in my life for over over 15 years, over 16 years because my, my oldest is 16. So, um Fast forward past probably five years, we just really, really, really got closer, probably because now I'm older, um, you know, stronger in my dean, doing all of these things, right? And uh, we both were in very interesting relationships, and we found ourselves like, what in the world did you get into? What in the world did you get into? And trying to, right, like, like rectify things, through Islam and, and, and through justice and through understanding and being as, as patient and finding each other. Like, we literally would study with each other to to try to get, get through these situations. Um, fortunately, both of us got out of these crazy, crazy scenarios. Um, I, I really don't need to share mine, um, but Brother Taj's, was about twenty times more crazy than mine. <laughs> so we are um and there has been, you know, in in the Denver community especially there has been um this this um line drawn because assumptions have been made, lies have been told and clarity, but more than anything the way that Brother Taj was able to maneuver and still find justice and still find forgiveness and still find peace and still find, I admire his wisdom. I admire his, um, his understanding. I applaud him because I don't know if I could handle it the same way. And he has still been able to rise and recognize and figure out like, oh, I, I this was my lesson and still been able to be humble enough to, to move forward. So, I'm honored to bring in my brother. I'm honored to have him on the show. And through these, through all of these um, phases, he's been on the show probably three or four times for clarity's sake, for a space for truth to be heard. And we get, you know, it's a controversial thing when Taj comes on Awake with us. And it's all right because we, we know that we always provide, um, we always provide the, the truth and the justice that is that needs to be that needs to be heard for community. And um, I made a joke with him when he came home and I said, "You know, you owe us. You owe us the full explanation because we 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 was rhyming for you. So you owe us this clarity." So I'm I'm honored. Um, he never says no. He never says no, even if he's hesitating sharing his business. He always says, "All right, I'll do the show, sis." So um, without further ado, I want to bring in my my big brother. Uh, for years, uh, the honor, the scholar, the poet, the father, the brother, the son, the friend, the imam, the, all, all of these things, Brother Taj. Let's bring him in. Good morning, sis. 
Assalamualaikum. Good morning. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you? I'm good. I'm very, very good. Very good. Very, very honored that you have me. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely honored, honored to be on your show. Yes, yes, yes. I was, um, I was sharing how long we have known each other since before I was a mother, and, <laughs> and <laughs> you being. You being instrumental in walking me through being, a, you know, after taking Shahada and being in my dean and all of that good stuff. And, and now, like, and then just how, you know, the way the universe works, like, these crazy cycles of relationship that we were in at the same time and that, and that drew us closer. One, in being, which I'm, I'm so blessed and honored to call you brother. And, um, yeah, so welcome. I'm gonna let you lead the initial part of the conversation because I don't wanna, I don't wanna go where you don't wanna go. So I'll let you lead. So tell us why you said yes to do the show, and where you been. Well, first, look, um, <laughs> I'm, I, I, you know, I was listening in, and I, I, I guess I, I first I want to make the point like, like our relationship has been a two way street for me. I have drawn a lot of light. From you, um, I mean, we're we're you know we're practically family. So I I don't want to I'm not I'm not the mentor guru you know big brother as much as I've I've taken a lot of inspiration and a lot of um, just light and energy and positive stuff from you. I've I've watched you grow, of course, but. Um, that growth has been something I've been able to tap into, you know, from an inspirational point as well. So please, I mean, understand it's, it's, it's definitely a two-way street. Um, so that being said, whenever you, you know, whenever you do call and ask me to come on, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm coming. I'm coming to support. But I'm also coming to um, hopefully, you know, share my insight and add to um your direction as well. So um that's you know, that's that's yeah, I mean anytime you call I'm 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 gonna respond for sure. Um yeah. so where have I been? Oh my God. So <laughs> oh man. So, you know, you made the point earlier about having crazy relationships and, and I've certainly had mine. Um the last so the last ten months, actually, really starting last uh, February, I was actually locked up and actually fighting a case um, in relation to my um, my prior marriage, which has been tumultuous. I mean, I've, I've been pretty much in this hurricane of a relationship since really like 2010. I've just been dealing with insanity uh, with regards to that for the last nine years. You know, it's almost almost been a decade. Um, So um, last February, I basically got locked up and was facing um, domestic violence stalking charges, basically, um, from uh, just basic lies. I mean, there's nothing else I can call it, just lies that my ex-wife told um, mostly in retaliation to my, I mean, I'm a vocal, very vocal person, as you can probably guess, <laughs> as any listeners can guess. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm vocal, and I generally talk about my own experiences, but I try to talk about them from a standpoint of, one, I, you know, I, I believe that you have to tell your own story. I mean, people will always, you know, chime in about you, and most of the time it's not true or in, it's inaccurate. Uh, so I believe that you, you do have to tell your own story. You have to share your own truth. So I, I'm a proponent of that. And in so doing, I've talked about my relationship with my ex-wife, and I've talked about the situations I've been in and the legal troubles and, and things like that. And in doing that very thing, uh, my ex-wife retaliated, and she, um, because she was not happy about the things that I was saying, uh, I was not trying to necessarily be insulting, but I was definitely being truthful and, uh, and, and brutally truthful. And so she just basically called the police and, you know, said I was doing things that I, you know, basically just stalking her, um, mostly cyber stalking, according to her. And I was charged and I threw, I mean, I, I was adamant about my innocence and it made me have to sit for 10 months in Arapahoe County Jail and fight a case that ultimately I won. Um, so uh, I've been home since December. I got that call from my sister to come on, and, you know, and I and I do owe uh, because you definitely have grown for me, and i just super, super appreciative of that, um, the support of – I've been blessed uh, that my uh, – I won't say my reputation, but at least my reputation precedes me in the sense of, you know, I've, I've tried to act with ant- integrity and, and, and transparency, and, and I've been blessed that that walk has given me just unending support from people like you. And so, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I, I'm here to share my story because, again, I, I tell my story, but not for the sake of just telling it. I tell it because in a lot of ways it's reflective of what we go through as a people. And so I try to frame it from the standpoint of, you know, we have hit some historical behaviors and we have some, some legacy experiences that we all are touched with. And I'm not, you know, I'm certainly one of those people. And my life is, is a reflection of a bigger picture. And so I try to talk about it from that standpoint as opposed to just, you know, gossiping and just talking for talking's sake. So um, my story is part of a bigger experience that I, you know, I, I try to share. So. Yeah. So um, let's start from the beginning. So um, you were married. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was definitely a, a a love story, right? Like it was a love story initially. And it was almost like I, I remember when when I found out that you were married, it was almost like, oh, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense. Like, oh, these two make sense <laughs> with each other. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. What happened? Like where did, how did it go from being in love and then something turned? Oh, man, it's, it's, it, that's a very good question. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story, even as crazy and and painful as it is. I mean, when I first got married, um, I, you know, I had I had been married before. I mean, I'd lived my life as a married man. <laughs> I had been married uh, for fifteen years, and yet 
uh, and I got divorced. And, you know, m- me and my wife, we, we just grew apart, and, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things that happened. And somehow me and my next wife, we found each other, and it made just it just it was almost like it was a like a match made in heaven that I I felt like and I think I'm you know I think I could speak for her in the sense of we we felt like we found our soulmates it it was this thing that was almost organic and just natural I I it was weird for me to actually even experience something like that because there were so many things that clicked between me and D right from the start and it was very very strange for me um and and it was a whirlwind um i remember feeling like i remember feeling people's reaction to just our presence like we would walk in a room and i it was so strange for me sis because it just i was just like wow this i should have been here you know don't regret my, my my prior marriage at all and yet i felt like man i this, you know, this this is where I, you know, this is where we should be. I mean, we fell into this marriage very quickly, um, and fell in love very quickly. But I think what ended up happening was we were two very dynamic, very and also very scarred individuals, to be quite honest. I mean, we had had, you know, I, I mean, my experiences in life in general had me carrying a lot of uh a lot of a lot of pain a lot of anger a lot of uh a lot of apprehension and 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 just really from a just dealing with myself on a personal basis i i i, I there's nothing i i really have bad to say about my marriage my first marriage or or about my 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 first wife i just carried i mean i got i got actually got married while i was in prison uh met my wife just prior to me being released and I, my wife had four children, and I was right into a ready-made family. And uh, at the time, I was, uh, you know, a young Muslim, very zealous. And it, it was a, it, it was a really dynamic growth process for me. But it made me carry a lot of crazy things. Uh, and I dealt with, you know, uh, some some intense situations in my marriage. And I think I was carrying all that when I met the. And and her life was just as crazy, and her background was just as crazy. And so you had these two, you know, we were just these two dynamic individuals that came together, recognized who we were together, uh, recognized some really crazy potential, and it just it just fell apart as as quickly as we came together because I think we just. I don't think we trust each other. Um, we didn't trust each other uh, with each other's spiritual and mental well-being. I think that um, we just were so separate in a lot of the things that we did and, and, and in our experiences that that just caused a fracture. Um, I also think that, it, you know, that the dynamics – of our relationship, me being a man, um, and also the things that she went through, being a woman, uh, being a black woman, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of scarring 
that's involved. There was a lot of scarring in terms of the things that my wife experienced, and it caused a lot of friction and and a lot of resentment, and it just built early on. And then, look, I you know, I just think that I just think that D has has a lot of mental issues surrounding her own experiences. And it just caused some early problems. I, I, I really dealt with some insane and very intense situations I had never really dealt with before. And I didn't deal with them well. I, I, I just, it, it was bad. <laughs> I mean, it, the things that I experienced with her early on are like soap opera level things like uh, urban fiction level things that I just, mm-hmm. I, I feel it because, you know, she was my woman and I was being protective and I was being the husband and I was being the guide and the leader. And I just feel that a lot of insane things that eventually ended up before I knew I was in prison, you know, <laughs> I was going, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to prison. I mean, my wife was a, prolific liar and it just I was in prison facing charges you know uh, that I had basically I pled guilty trying to you know basically deal with judicial economics and get rid of a case and also deal with the fact that you know I didn't necessarily want to put my wife on the stand and have her perjure herself and and, and then there's the justice system in and of itself that's predicated on basically locking up black people and I, before I knew it, I was in prison, <laughs> you know, um, and it was just, you know, I just, I just dealt with a lot of insanity. Uh, most of it just lies that, that, that my um, wife was telling about me because I was just at one point just tired of dealing with the insanity. And I stood up and I said, I wasn't going to deal with it anymore. And I became vocal about it. And she just retaliated. And so I, I ended up going to prison. I ended up actually getting a four-year sentence um, for domestic violence. No actual, you know, physical violence, just basically, you know, threats and, and things that she said that I did. And I ended up pleading guilty only because I got caught in this crazy situation because when it happened, I still was being the husband. <laughs> and and it was at a point where, you know, the law was saying you can't even have contact with your wife or your family and you know we all we me and her we both ignored that very thing, and trying to reconcile and trying to work out our marriage, and in the end it came to bite me. You know, it came back to bite me because my actual presence, my actual contact with her was illegal, and so I ended up facing almost twenty charges of violation of protection order uh, as the case fell apart. You know that she had pressed against me, and so the DA filed these charges to sort of save the case and I ended up pleading guilty just to avoid you know a lengthy jail sentence thinking I was going to get probation I actually been promised probation and the judge gave me prison and so it was inexplicable and it was crazy and I learned a lot in terms of how to deal with the justice system and, and, and also my my viewpoint of it because I, I had been locked up before. Again, I mentioned I, I had been in prison when I was a young kid, but I still, you know, I, I, I hadn't necessarily still grasped how formulaic our criminal system is in terms of being the new Jim Crow. Uh, right. And so experiencing it, you know, again, 
it just I just became adamant that I would you know be an advocate for uh, reform and and I would stand up against you know this this, this you know this slave catching system and so uh, I did my time I got out uh, hit the ground running as you know I remember coming on your show and, and talking a little bit about you know relationships and things like that and I was very vocal about my I had not been vocal about my prison time when I was a kid as much as this time I was going to be look I'm going to talk about it we're going to deal with it uh, because there are issues here that you know as black people this is what we experience. So I, I began talking about it, began talking about the situation that got me in prison. And, again, my, my D was not happy because um, it, it portrayed her as a liar. And, 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 and when I say portray, I'm using the word facetiously because that's what she was. That's what she is. Uh, and I was just being very vocal and direct about it. At the same time, she was actually catching her own legal trouble. Uh, Nine News exposed her as a, you know, for some fraud that she had uh, gotten into, and I was vocal about that and saying, see, you know, that I've, I, now the world is starting to see what I've experienced these past few years. And, again, she wasn't happy, but also it was, it was it, my uh, being vocal provided a an opportunity for her to get off of the, you know, get this case taken off of her. So she put together another batch of lies to make herself look sympathetic and hopefully get the case taken from her. And the next thing you know, I was in jail facing this case. And I had a choice, sis. I could, you know, lay down and maybe take a plea bargain and get rid of the case and get back out and, and get free. Or I could stand up and say, look, I'm not going to, you know, waive my rights as a prisoner. I'm not going to – and I'm not going to plead guilty. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stand up. And that's what I did. It took me 10 months. But in the end, uh, I was exonerated, and unfortunately, uh, he ended up catching a case. And now it's an interesting reversal of fortune, so to speak, because now I'm free. And she is, I mean, she's also free, but she's got this case that she's facing. And is facing uh, a considerable amount of time uh, for fraud. And, and, and her lies against me are also playing a role in this because it's very apparent that I caught this case because she was trying to be sympath- look sympathetic and the system looked like she's a victim and then hopefully, you know, drop this case against her. And that became very apparent, which is one of the reasons why I ended up winning my own case. So, and, mm. and here I am. <laughs> yeah, so let me – you just gave us a lot, and I want to – because we have some listeners who are new to, to your situation – and let me sure. just give some, some context, right? Um, I remember when her case broke and it was on the news. And I was like, if, and you know, I don't have a TV. So I I'm get, I get stuff three, four days after because it becomes social media or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, it was interesting because I was also in this trying to figure out how to get out of my marriage. And when you came on the show, it caused it it caused tension on both of us. You know, like it caused tension for then my my then marriage and then and in the community, right? Like it became this. Why is I having? I mean, I mean, there were social media threads for weeks yeah. happening about you being on the show and all of this stuff. And so, um, I very much did the same thing you did, not even knowing that you had done it. 
I did the same thing. It was like, this person has been a predator to our community. We know through Taj, but those of us who are truly embedded in community, we know that other things happen even prior to Taj, right? Right. So what happened? What what clicked for you to say the, the calling out? What what prompted you to say? I mean, I, I heard you say I would need to tell my own story, but we're dealing with reputations where mm-hmm. we're dealing with people love the you know people. I was one of those people, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I was up to this moment and all of these things. And what prompted you to say, you know what, we have to unveil the predators? Um, and I know it, it always seems like it was um, at the same time we were in the same mode of like, look, we got to call these folks and take their mask off and expose the truth. Right. But what, what, what process did you go through to say, okay, I have to tell the truth and go from protecting her to, to saying, I got to tell the truth. You know, when I, when I went to prison the second time, it was uh, an incubator for me in terms of, because I had to, I really had to ask myself, how the hell did I get back here? I mean, I had been, you know, an activist. I had been a public figure, uh, a mentor, a, a, a religious leader, all of these things. And and had done so after having gone to prison as a as a youth, and I turned my life around. All of a sudden, I had to ask myself, how the hell did I end up back here? And the answer to that question is multifaceted. It 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 it, it deals. I had to deal with my own sort, my own personal growth and my own issues, and try to be introspective in terms of what mistakes that I make in my relationship and how I walk in the world that might have invited because I certainly didn't go to prison for something that I actually did, but I felt like I had to look at the process and see where I was culpable in my own behaviors and in my, and, and in how my relationship, uh, the direction of my relationship would be, you know, my own actions and, and just my own personal growth. Um, and then there was, how our justice system is set up, and and it just became so painfully painfully obvious to me how efficient it is in terms of just locking us up, and it was so scary that I had to make a choice in terms of what am I going to do about it, you know, um, and so I think, and then there's our experience as black people and how we're, you know, we're only, you know, we're less than 60 years into freedom and having dealt with, you know, centuries of just inhuman behavior that has rubbed off in terms of how we actually behave ourselves. And I think that in order for us to grow into freedom, we have to also deal with some very painful and ugliness that has been perpetuated onto us as a people and also that we perpetuate now in our own behaviors. And so we, as we've been preyed upon as a people, I mean, 500 years of being treated like a rabbit running in the field. And, and now we do that, you know, we do that to ourselves. And I think that we have to reconcile that behavior. And the first way that you reconcile it is you point it out. And so we have dealt with behaviors of 
uh, especially sexual predation, uh, where, uh, you know, it looks like now the way it looks is us preying on women, black men preying on beating, assaulting, disrespecting, raping, molesting women and girls uh, as as this sort of reflection on what we've gone through as slaves and what we've seen as slaves, and now we perpetuate that behavior. But interestingly enough, uh, there are cases where women have become predators as well. And so we deal with these mentally broken, this mental brokenness. And that's what I experienced in my relationship. I experienced a woman who was deal, had dealt with her own victimization and the way that she dealt with her victimization as a, as a, as a you know, when she was young was by perpetuating that victimization onto others. And it looked, it, it came in various forms, just um, pathological lying as a way to protect herself and preying on people as, a, as, a, as this weird way of dealing with her own victimization. And this was my wife, you know, <laughs> like it, it, that was the insane part of it. And so, um, and it, the the consequence of me dealing with that was I was victimized. By, and I hate to say it because it's, you know, I'm a strong black man. I don't want to admit that I've been victimized, but I, I was victimized and I, I was lied on and I was framed and I went to prison. And so I, I got out of prison uh, this last time I got out in, in the very beginning of 2016, and I was like, I'm going to talk about my experience. I'm going to point out these areas where they reflect, you know, my own experience reflects a bigger picture in terms of what we experience as black men. And I just was like, um, and, and, and again, as you pointed out, uh, uh, Dee caught a case that was exposed by Nine News, and so it it you know, these things were happening that were slowly but surely um, re- reflecting the truth of what I had gone through. Because it, it, you're right, it was I was a very controversial person. Here I was convicted of domestic violence, so I was looked at as an abuser. And so coming on your show, people were like, why are you having this abuser on your show? And I'm, you know, trying to tell my truth, and plenty of people who knew me believed me, but plenty of people who kind of sort of knew me, didn't believe me because again, this was at the right at the backdrop of the Me Too movement growing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm I I look like this, you know, this I look like Bill Cosby and and R. Kelly mm-hmm. coming out and talking. You know, people were pointing fingers at me, and anyone like yourself who was supporting me, you were considered complicit and how there could you know. And on top of the fact that. Uh, not only am I was I a, a you know a semi-public figure in the sense of you know being an activist and being outspoken, but I'm married to a woman who's this dynamic public personality as a speaker and a spoken word artist and 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 very charismatic and beautiful and and people believed her and saw her as a victim and could not see her for whatever reason or refused to see her as a as a per perpetrator uh and it it painted a, a really interesting picture uh, up until 
you know, Nine News broke this story. Because, like you said, there's this history of things that she's done long before I came in the picture that, that again, was an issue that I pointed out in terms of, as black people, we really do a really good job of playing the victim and sweeping under the rug the things that we've gone through, especially things that are uh, very hard to deal with, like sexual predation. We will sweep under the rug the family member who's a, a child molester. Uh, the R. Kelly situation was another thing that drove me where I was like, why are we still dealing with this dude? Why haven't we mm-hmm. just been clear that he's basically victimizing our girls and we need to, we need to jettison him? Why are we still buying his records? Why are we still defending him? And, and those those are all of these things. And then Bill Cosby, you know, you, I, I knew Bill Cosby was a rapist. I've been knowing this for a long time. And I'm like, why are we, mm-hmm. you know, why are we as a black people so set on accepting these things and defending these things? And I, I understood it I, from a historical standpoint, but I was like, you know, we have to, break the cycle and we have to shift our paradigms and I'm going to start with myself and I'm going to start with my story and I'm, going to, and I'm going to say that you want true salvation and you want true freedom and there are a lot there are a lot of shackles that we still got to take off and like you know and then again it was very personal and, 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 and it was a struggle but as I began telling my story and people and, and the truth is there and the facts and the actual situations they're there and people knew them and it was just ugly and hard for people to have to look at me (laughs) and deal with the truth that my beautiful smart intelligent wife is a broken person who has been breaking people and Mm -hmm. it 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 was a hard thing for people to deal with a hard thing for them to reconcile but I made it I tried to make it a thing that they had no they had no choice in the matter. You've got to reconcile this. You've got to see this. It's right in your face. And slowly but surely, that has been the story that has emerged now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not the perpetrator. I'm not R. Kelly. I'm not Bill Cosby. I'm not these things that have been told about me for years are not true. Um, and, and, and the public is learning now ugly side that they didn't want to really have to deal with because there are a lot of people who are friends with both myself and, and D and people who have mm-hmm. had to now reconcile supporting and, and being a fan of and standing up for somebody that had, they shouldn't, you know, they now got a question, you know, having done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these people mm-hmm. have supported, uh, supported my ex, and have been victimized themselves, and they got to reconcile that. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have to reconcile how do you support somebody who will turn around and 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 break you, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and then that's, that's the story that's emerging to this day, to this moment uh, right now. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with that? And like I can say it's a bigger picture. It's not just about me. It's not just about D. It's about this legacy that we have dealt with for a long time that we're now, I think, just waking up to realizing if we're truly going to be free, we got to deal with some stuff here. <laughs> we got to deal with some stuff. So it's, um, we have some questions coming in from social media about that um, were very similar to my okay. questions anyway. So I'm going to let guys, um, because this is an interactive show. 
Um, but I, I want to say to like in I, I want people to understand when when folks take are courageous enough to share their stories um, and share their truth. It's so much about going inside, and and this is a question from a dear listener and supporter of my work, and um, and she she she's recognizing like you've had a lot of time to just go inside of yourself. Um, how did you move forward in loving yourself and forgiving and staying on course with your purpose, as well as like how did this trauma? right, because it is trauma, how does it shift mm-hmm. your own personal purpose and, like, staying steadfast in that as well as, like, finding the room and space to forgive and, and love yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, such a good question. Oh, my God. And, and it's a, such a good question because, to be honest, it's a work in progress. I, I, I would be remiss if I ever portrayed that I've – and now I'm going to share my expertise. I'm still – working through, I'm still working through it, but I think at some point, uh, you know, I, I think we all have this compulsion to be better, right? Like, like no matter what we do, no matter the mistakes that we make, we all have this inherent thing within ourselves to evolve and elevate. And, and it's just a matter of tapping into it when you're unsure. Uh, because there's a lot of things about black life that make you unsure about yourself. Because, you you know, our country told us that we were animals and that we were just good for picking cotton and being raped. So you, you have to overcome that. Uh, and that, and that's, that's very hard if the if a system has been put in place to teach you otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's that spirit is still there. That, that spirit tell you that you are meant to be free. That spirit will tell you that you're meant to be a better person day by day. And I had to tap into it because it always spoke to me. Um, and I always, when I, when I listened and I moved in that direction, I always personally benefited from it. In my life, my life was a reflection of what happens when you move into that light. I went from being a, 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 a an ex-con to working for the president. I went from being an unsure youngster to a person that could help um, guide people, and 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 my connection with you was was one of those things, lady, where. I, I felt like, oh, I, I can move in this direction, and I can connect with dynamic people who are also moving in that direction if I'm just sure of myself. And so <laughs> this process, this situation was one of those things that kept telling me, Todd, look at yourself and move into that direction, that you, that inherent direction that you know. And so I had to um, – I had to reconcile those things within myself. I had to look at my whole situation and make a choice. What am I going to do about this? And so when I, when I, uh, like I said, I try to talk about what I went through, not as let me tell you 
what this bad, how horrible this person is or how problematic this person is. I, I, I talk about it from the standpoint of this is some pain that we carry since you know, from it, from a historical standpoint, and this is how I carried it, and this is how I think I made it through. And mm-hmm. I felt it, it was, it was, there was a tipping point because, again, I could have walked away and been quiet and just, you know, re- try to recover and. And, and get out of prison and try to get back on my feet and not say anything, it would have made my life easier to be quite honest if I had said nothing. There's that part of me that just says, look, I'm going to be free even if they put shackles on me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm going to stand mm-hmm. up because I just feel – I also felt like people could benefit from my story. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. don't have enough – we don't have enough stories and examples of people who have stood up and said, because mm-hmm. it takes some courage. It, it, I had to be brave. I had to say, I'm not going to go through this. I'm not going to take this lying down. Uh, and and I had to say it at a point where a lot of people were saying, no, just be quiet. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Don't, don't mm-hmm. say anything about her. Leave her alone, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just something in my spirit that just wouldn't, let me just be quiet and go quietly into that good night. You know, that's how the poem goes. I, I just, mm-hmm. it's just something that says, no, you're going to rage and you're going to stand up and you're going to speak your truth. Um, and that's, I think that's the key part. Um, I, I don't know. I can't. So try to answer the sister's question. I don't know if I have the formula for it, but I, I just believe that we all have that voice. We all have that thing that, moves us in that direction and I have been fortunate that when I do listen to that voice and when I do move in that direction I have benefited from it and the people around me have benefited from it and so I think it's been key in terms of where I am where I am today I'm just listening to what's already there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, um, thank you for that because that, that was real it is a continuous um, it is a continuous thing how how now, right? Now everything mm-hmm. is exposed and mm-hmm. truth is out. Folks can Google it. Folks can you know, we can see it's beyond even what you were sharing. How have you dealt with having to be reminded of the situation, right? Like I'm sure you're running into folks mm-hmm. and they're like, Yo, I saw blah, 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 blah. How are you dealing right. with part of it where, yeah, I, you're willing to tell the truth, you're willing to do all of that, but then having to tell the story over and over and over? I, uh, <laughs> I first of all, you know, I'm a, I'm a big mouth. I got a big mouth, you know, so I don't mind necessarily telling the story because, like I said, I have to, I have to ask myself why am I talking? And am I just talking so I can make her look bad or, what, you know, what is it? Uh, and I'm asking myself that because, again, I want to – I'm trying to maintain a sense of integrity and also a sense of purpose. We all have a sense of purpose, and it's only – we only grow when we move in that sense. And so I had to ask myself, what is my purpose in this? Uh, why have I gone through what I went through? My life was turned upside down. I was moving in a great direction. 
I had a great job, great, you know, family and, 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 and just moving. And then all of a sudden I'm in, I'm in prison. What, what now, what's my purpose? Uh, and so in moving in that sense of purpose, I've had to talk about it, but I haven't felt, you know, any sort of way about doing it as opposed to that's my purpose. My purpose is, is, is sharing my own experience as a way to hopefully shed some light and shed some direction in terms of where I think we have to shift our paradigms as a people. Um, now, but look, here's the crazy part that people don't know. I me because it, it what's what's in the background of me talking and even in the background of D talking is where we encounter each other. It's one thing for me to encounter people who ask me about it, but it's another, you know, because in the backdrop of, you know, what, you know, what does she say in re, in in uh, response to what you say, or what does she do in response to what you do? There's that dynamic as well. And what people don't know is we, me and Dee, have actually encountered each other uh, more than once, and it and and we haven't been public about it. Well, actually, it was in public, so actually, we, I guess that public part's taking care of itself in a sense. Because that's also the thing of now. Because the reality is this uh, I should not have gone to jail, and, and because that's not the thing. The thing is not to go to jail. That's not our growth. That's not our, that should not be our process. And I don't wish jail on D. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with their case. I have a suspicion that it'll probably end up in probation, uh, you know, something like that, where she doesn't necessarily have to do time, even though she's facing time. But none of that is pleasurable to me. Prison is slavery. And why would I wish that on anyone, much less another black person, much less a black woman, much less somebody that I had married? Like, that's that's the last thing in my thought. So it's it's always a question in my mind, What what is the end game in all of this? And so I have to ask, what's the end game in my situation? I have to ask, what's the end game for us as a people in terms of how do we embrace freedom, how do we embrace equality, and how do we uh, get rid of all of this crap that we carry that has been an obstacle? What is our end game? And so question is sort of what answers how I deal with people asking me about it. Um, I try not to, you know, it's a story, you know, and it's a crazy story. So I try not to indulge that part because we love crazy stories, right? We love controversy. Mm-hmm. We love to see people fall. We love to see people dealing with their problems because it's a distraction from our own. So I try not to indulge that part, but I, I, I try to point out to where it's a bigger picture and where uh, as a people, there's some direction in terms of my own personal story. So I still, it's still there. I still have people who ask, because I'm just fresh back. I have, I've only, I got out December 15th, (laughs) you know, February is not even over yet. Uh, And so it's a fresh thing, but I embrace it in the sense of, because it's an ongoing story and there's still some problems that we still got to deal with. There's still subject matter that I think is a bigger picture subject matter 
uh, because now, especially with the, you know, some of the things like, you know, Bill Cosby's in, Bill Cosby went to prison while I was locked up, so you know, and R. Kelly, it looks like he back again. And so we got these bigger pictures and that reflect what I went through, as you know, on a personal level. So it's part of an ongoing dynamic story. So I don't mind, to be honest, the, the conversations because I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be truthful mm-hmm. about it. I don't intend to be gossiping or trying to drag D under the bus. I intend to tell my story and, and, and put the details out there to make because here's, you know, one of the things, especially with my story is now it's how do you stand up to the justice system? How do you stand up against the DA who wanted to put you in prison, who was pulling? I mean, in my, this last case I just beat has all of those elements of, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the typical story of a person getting locked up. And were it not for my untypical stance, I would have been locked up. I would have gone to prison. Mm-hmm. And I stood up for myself, and I fought a DA who was bad at me for just for just upholding my own right. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally upset and really tried to throw the book at me just because I wouldn't take a plea bargain. <laughs> and okay. I stood up, and I won. So there's that story as well. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of what I talk about now um, in terms of, how do we deal with the justice system? How do we stand up and, 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 you know, avoid the trap that it is. And mm-hmm. and so I, I don't mind talking about it at all um, now because I, I, I feel there's a sense of purpose in it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know it's um one, one, let me first talk about this because of the impact of post-traumatic slave syndrome it, within our community as a whole, we don't talk, right? And you brought up great points. Like, we have all known about R. Kelly. Before the media made it, the black community knew what R. Kelly was doing, and we were still mm-hmm. supporting um, Bill Cosby, you know, all of the types. And we don't talk, and we don't say anything, and we don't call a thing a thing because we're so loyal to blackness, so we think, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we define these things as blackness. Um, talking about it, what what have you found? Have you found, like I imagine, I know for me, once I called my ex-husband out, and was it like I found all of these women and, and men, and we bonded on this, like who were going through domestic violence, who you wound up being a voice for. How are you um, guiding them, and and as it, is that coming up, and how are you addressing it when people are saying, "I went through this," whether it was a woman being the predator or or the justice system, like how are you directing and guiding them to land so that they can do their healing work? Um, one of the things, so I had a little bit of practice when I was in jail because there are a lot of people, a lot of men in jail on domestic violence issues. And not issues where they're innocent, <laughs> right? Like, like I'm clear that even though I went through a very rare case of sort of being the victim of a woman, I'm clear that the most of the, most of the time when there is an issue of um, abuser, uh, when there's an issue of abuse, men are on the side of being the perpetrator, and it's it's a sad 
it's a sad and painful truth. It is, I mean, statistically, that's what it is. And so it was interesting because uh, in jail, I was the innocent man who hadn't done anything, and I've got to face this system and this evil woman, so to speak. And yet I was dealing with a lot of people who were on the opposite, and the typical, they were the perpetrators. And I remember being, I, I, I'm still part of this circle of brothers who we would just sit and really be honest and talk about these issues. And it was amazing, sis, to see people break down um, their situations to the point where you you started seeing people, I started seeing brothers take some self-responsibility. There were so many people who had abused their girlfriend or their wives and then had to sit up and down to where they had to admit having been raped themselves. To see a grown man admit um, he had been raped by his dad was just, it was, it was, um, it, I don't know how to explain it, but because it's so surreal because that was the breakthrough. And then when you realize, oh, man, I mean, this dude realized, I mean, he was 40-some years old, was in, in jail for text messaging threats to his girlfriend, right, or his, his fiance. His fiance cheated on him, and so he went off. And now he's, you know, mm-hmm. facing, he was facing jail prison time for text messages. But all that stemmed from him being raped when he was seven years old by his dad. To see that, mm-hmm. when you get to that point and you can reconcile to that point, and then realize what you're carrying stems from your own victimization. It, it was so surreal to see that. And I saw it over and over again because those were the conversations that I was having. Though that, that was the conversation where people were looking at my case and I was the hero. And they were like, yeah, you're standing up and you're, you're going to beat that, that lying woman. And I'm like, nah, that ain't really what's happening, bro. That's not why, not why I'm here. That's not why I'm in this situation. I'm in this situation because there's some brokenness going on. And so I had that practice, so to speak. And I'm still connected to a lot of those guys. And so I got out and I said, okay, um, one, these these are guys who I'm still connected with in the sense of they're not going to prison or not going for a long time. So they're going to have to get out and live in the world and reconcile how they live in the world with that. Uh, I began, I'm, I'm writing more about my own situation. I'm blogging. I, I connected with a, an organization called Forgive Everyone, which deals with uh, formerly incarcerated individuals, but they also deal with it in the sense of the way that we move forward does have to include a component of forgiveness, forgiving yourself um, especially, and then forgiving you know, people around you and the people connected to you. So I think for myself, I have to, I've tried to walk in that sense of purpose in terms of how I tell my story and why and now who I connect with. So I'm being more deliberate in terms of dealing with life post-incarceration. I'm I'm connecting more with people on that level. I just spoke to a panel of public defenders and trying to have them, you know, teach, train them to how to, how to relate better to their clients. And I spoke to them from the standpoint of, look, you guys have a horrible reputation and you need to do a better job. 
Um, I connected with. I just I just got off the phone yesterday with the brother who's the uh, the mayor of Leavenworth, Kansas. A brother. He's also a brother who did time in Leavenworth prison. So he went from being a prisoner to the mayor of the city. I I'm personal friends with him because I want to connect with people who walk in that light because those things have to be put out there as examples, as signposts, uh, as lighthouses, so to speak, in terms of where we're going in this direction. And look, like I said, when, when I got out, when I went to jail, Cosby got locked up. So we had to, you know, I was listening to the conversation about that. When I got out, the, the R. Kelly special was going on, and I'm listening to the conversation about that. I'm like, oh, my God, we still have a long way to go because people were still defending this dude. You know, people mm-hmm. were still – and it was just amazing to see that. And the Jesse Smollett situation is another situation that now is this reflect black life. You know what I mean? And I'm like, man, you know, there are some paradigms that we have to shift here. Mm-hmm. and. And I feel like that's where I'm speaking at. That's that's where I'm living right now is promoting this idea that if we're going to, you know, I feel like I feel like it's a Harriet Tubman moment for me because she's such an example to me. One being a black woman, but also someone who shifted the paradigm and said, you know what? I know you're telling me I'm supposed to be a slave, but I'm not going to listen, and I'm going to do the most audacious inexplicable thing, I'm going to leave, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to run to freedom and then I'm going to be, even do worse. I'm going to come back and get some other people and take them in the same direction. Um, and that's kind of where I'm living. I'm living in my Harriet Tubman phase right now. Mm-hmm. What has it done for um, your, your, your current relationships, right? Like from, mm-hmm friendships and folks who were supporting me and against you and having to come back on intimate relationships. Uh, I, I've often said I'm in a new relationship and I often can sure I'm not making it sound like I'm still dealing with my ex, but like the reality is that it does add to your purpose. And now it's like, you know, you have to do something about domestic violence. You know, you have to do something about, healing and you know you have to um and then there's this other lens that you you spoke to that is so eloquently you you said it so perfect recognizing that your ex is a product of these post-traumatic slaves being too and Mm -hmm. they need help too and i remember having a conversation with a sister when i was explaining this about um halim and i was saying hey this is the situation, like, this brother is broken, this is, like, he needs healing, and that's probably why I stayed so long, because I was I, I was able to recognize that and see that, and I want to offer it, and still being able to, even through the storm, say, through it all, I'm not saying I want another black man in prison, I'm not saying that this is what, you know what I'm saying, and mm-hmm. the sister not understanding and, and coming from this vengeful place of, like, no, this has to be this, and how do you deal with that in your current relationships to move forward as well as, like, still balancing, like, yeah, I do have to continue to talk about it. I do have to continue to grow and learn from it, stronger in my purpose without compromising a genuine exchange. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I got the question today, sis. 
Um, <laughs> um, Relationship-wise, I'm still trying to – I'm a mess, you know, honestly. Like, I, I'm tainted good. Uh, no, I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out in the sense of where, where I'm going in my own intimate relationships or intimate relationship. I want to be married uh, oh, because, one, my, I'm, I'm still informed a lot in terms of how I live and walk by my religion, and also, I'm, you know, I'm marriage-minded anyway. I'm, you know, my I was raised by parents who were still married, and I, I, it's probably been 8,000 years that they've been married, so I don't I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to move in that direction in a sense, but I'm also, I still carry, you know, I still carry baggage from all my prior relationships. I carry baggage into my relationship with D, and that was a problem, to be quite honest, uh, because I had not I had not put that baggage down. We're good at carrying baggage. Black people, we're hell because again, remember we were cattle, so we we were taught to carry stuff, and we we've been taught that the way that you should live is you got to carry your burdens. You just got to carry them better. You got to put them in good bags and good boxes, and and be able to carry them efficiently. That's been the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is we haven't been taught that you're not supposed to carry it because you're not cattle. Right. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. you're not a donkey. You're not a cow. You're not an ox. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to carry these things. You have to put them down and be able to walk away from them. And that's that's what I'm trying to be mindful of now because that's what tripped me up uh, in, in as 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 crazy as I could point out the things that D did and said and that I exacerbated those things with the baggage I carried into my relationship with her. Uh and 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 even prior to that, my marriage, you know, I like to say that we grew apart, but the, that stuff happened because of baggage that me and my uh my first wife carried as well. So now I'm trying to be more mindful of knowing that I carry a lot of baggage. I just went through a crazy relationship where I went to prison. So I have a lot of resentment. I have a lot of anger aimed at D um, that has, that has not been reconciled. And it, and in a, in a perfect world, it would be reconciled with her and with her participation. And I don't know that it will happen. And I don't, and I'm to be quite honest, I don't think it would. I don't think that she's capable. And I don't know that, um, it, so I don't know that, that it would happen in that process. So I have to figure out how I – because there's this truth that says when you go through trauma, because you, you, uh, you hit the nail on the head, what I went through was trauma, and it's very hard for me to admit that because I'm a fighter, yo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But when you get – Literally. You get, <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you go through trauma, the only way that you heal – and then I'm a proponent of this. There's only one way that you heal from that type of trauma, and that is through restitution. You have to have restitution. The problem is, in in most cases, restitution has to come from the person that injured you, right? And the problem is when that person is not capable of 
giving restitution. Maybe they don't have anything to give, or maybe they're so adamant in their own in their in what they do that they just are not um, mentally able or intelligently able to give restitution. And so, what happens is you're left with how do what do we do now? We as black people, we're in that situation. We have this 500, 600 years of trauma that we have not been given restitution for. And now we got to figure out how to get it because if we don't get it, we are not going to heal. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to come from, you know, to, in this day and age, I don't need restitution for slavery from my white neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. But I do need mm-hmm. restitution from somebody, from somewhere, in order for me to, uh, in order for us, me and us, in order for all of us to heal, it has to happen. And so I know that I need restitution for what I've gone through. I don't know who it's going to come from, but I know I need it. In a perfect world, it comes from D, but it ain't going to happen. So I got to figure out how do I, how do I heal from my trauma and put my baggage down. And so I'm I'm mindful of it in my intimate relationships, um, and I'm trying to I'm, I'm I'm trying to not set myself up for those same you know trip ups, um, and so at the same time I'm trying not to beat myself up because what happens is look I'm not going to be a, uh, a, a I'm not going to be a hermit, and I love my I, and I love my sisters. And I love women, and I think women are the one thing that is a very clear reflection on God's purpose of beauty and appreciation of beauty. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, deal with relationships and, and and being in an intimate relationship with while I'm trying to put this baggage down. And it's not a it's a work in progress. I'm in the middle of it right now, and it's an interesting thing. It's interesting because I have to deal with my own crap, <laughs> you know, and, and at the same time be mindful of trying to create a, a healing relationship. Um, I'm, I will say this. I've been fortunate um, in the sense of people – are seeing my purpose even when I don't I, I don't see it very clearly and things you know and and women my sisters have been both both women that I've ha- had or want to pursue intimate relationships with but also women like yourself lady who have been like sisters to me who have been who have just pushed me forward and helped me up in a lot of ways that pleasantly surprised and not expecting and so that, and and and, be, and so I've been able to build, and I've been able to bounce things off of you and other sisters, and I've been able to figure things out with the encouragement and guidance of a lot of women. I've been, it's really been strange for me, but I've, it, 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 and it's happened without any effort <laughs> on my behalf. So I've just been blessed with that, and so I'm trying to move in that, you know, in in that. Um, in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. And look, it's also included D herself. Um, we, in, in a small way, um, we actually encountered each other at a poetry. I was, you know, I've been going to this poetry venue and lighting the mic up and, it's, 
and we encountered each other there, and it was very strict. It was a very strange encounter for me because I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted, to, I wanted to drop kick that sister, like, like because she right, came right. there, she came there right. knowing I was there, right? And I'm right. like, you know, I'm like, oh wait, this is a setup. <laughs> right, I've been through this. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, right. And it was a moment. We had this really surreal moment where it was just me and her. It was just me and her, and I was like, I just want to give you the middle finger right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I want to walk away and cuss you out and walk away. And I couldn't do it. Uh, it was it was it was very very strange, sis. And 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 that that encounter is still something that's reverberating because it happened a, a few weeks ago, and it's still something that's reverberating a little bit for me, uh, and probably for her as well. Um, so there's that. There's you know. So it's a work. It's like I said before. It's a, it's a work in progress for me. But I know I feel like I'm moving in the right directions, and I and so in, in from that sense, that's where I'm living, and in, in, in terms of and that's where I'm speaking, um, in having those those conversations in terms of what what's the bigger picture and what's the end game for us that looks like freedom that looks like real real freedom, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, the and we know this is, is Muslims with the with the reconciliation piece and being able to receive the justice from the, from that entity. It's so, you made an excellent point around how do black folks collectively get that? You know, how do we get where we can truly have healthy reconciliation about what has gone through, what is now reverberating in our Sales, you know, the the impact mm-hmm. of slavery mm-hmm. now in our cellular makeup. So, like, how can we really undo in sixty years? The freedom is not a long time, you know. Like my grandparents no. remember segregation and and all of this. So we we have to be real about like what the impact has done and recognize that the the trauma and the dysfunction in our relationships and in our families are nothing but a, a micro of the macro of what happened to us as a collective people. And that takes this maturity, that takes this um this 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 understanding and this peace, um, which leads to the to the next question and shifting, right? Like I think I, I agree. I think telling the story in details of the soap opera part is unnecessary. Now we need to know Taj, what are you doing? What book are you writing? What where can we hear you mm-hmm. speak? What are how can we plug into following this journey so we can continue to find inspiration and stay connected? I did, I, I saw you post a couple pictures. I'm just now getting back on social media, really. So I saw mm-hmm. you post a couple pictures of poetry. Like, where can we come see you? Like, where can we <laughs> see the, the, the product? Right. So I'm working. So uh, my work looks like this right now. I'm working on – so I'm, I'm, I'm working – on uh, two, I'm actually working on two books right now, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to put that story out. But I'm actually writing a book called Black Dad, where I'm talking about 
my experience as a father and a stepfather. Because I've been, you know, I have one daughter, and that's been a crazy situation in terms of, uh, like, right now me and my daughter don't speak. Um, and part of it is a reflection of what I went through with, with D. Um, I have, uh, but I also have, I, I, I've, I have, um, I have like, I have 10 stepkids, <laughs> right? Like I've been married to three women and between the three women, I have 10 stepkids that I have touched, uh, raised, um, guided, you know, in some way, shape, or form, I've been a part of their life and a part of their dynamics. And it's been interesting because that that whole experience has, I felt, is also, like you said, a, a micro of the macro in terms of what our relationships have. We, I've been, I'm, you know, I've been a, a father and a baby's daddy, and that's, you know, what I'm saying that's black, that's black life. You know, what I'm saying, and so those dynamics and the and the, and the experiences I've had. In that role is something that I want that I'm, I'm writing about because I want to share. Again, difficult, you know, difficult situations. You know, I've raised a, a, an autistic stepchild. Uh, I've raised and had to protect um, daughters, stepdaughters who've been molested, and their molester has been that guy that's been invited to the, you know, to the family reunion. That, you know, mm-hmm. the, that that guy that everyone swept under the rug. You know, and 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 it, and me being vocal about it has created, you know, some risks, you know, things like that. But I'm talking about it because the, that's that's where we live. So I'm I'm writing a book about that. I'm writing a book about my experience with the um, that that again is a, it was almost pretty much ended, <laughs> and now I got this crazy final chapter. Um, so I'm I'm but I'm also disseminating a lot a lot of that in my blog, so you can. Follow my blog post at um, at at uh, um, at Blogspot, um, brother Todd, brother Todd's dot Blogspot dot com, because um, I'm writing a lot about that. And and again, I've got these this blogger gig where if you follow um, Forgive Everyone Company, um, I'm, I'm uh, I just got a blog uh, gig with them, so I'm going to be writing about especially that that component of chasing down restitution and forgiveness um, because the, the, the company has this interesting mantra about forgiving everyone with no exception. And oh my God, sis, <laughs> like that's, you know, I have to, you know, you, you're, you're proposing to me that I have to, and, and, and people have proposed this and it's been something I've had to chew on that whatever the trauma is I've gone through with the, who's, you know, made these very clear, accurate, untruthful, malicious accusations against me that have led to me being incarcerated, and I have to forgive her, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. I don't know I don't know how to do that. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know how to do it, but that's I, I have to admit that's where I'm trying to live. I feel, I mean, I could walk around with animosity with her, and I could beef with her and drag her, and I could do that very, very, very well because I got a mouth on me, and I can, and I know how to write real well. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't. My spirit, my spirit doesn't want to live there because this is still right. someone as evil as I can portray her. This is still someone that I fell in love with. This is still someone who I would have gone, you know, at one point, 
you know, I've I ran up on people and defended, and I put hands on people to defend. I, this is some someone who I supported and I stood up for and would have until the last day. And that's not something that goes away because she did something messed up, you know. Um, so I'm I'm doing that. I'm writing. You'll see that stuff. Uh, you know, you know how me and social media is. So I, the, the things that I release, I, I'm releasing in a piecemeal sense until I actually publish. Um, I'm performing a lot. I'm trying to go around and, and, and hit the open mics. Uh, I, my my spoken word thing is still something I do as a hobby. It's not something I've moved into in terms of, you know, career or whatever. But, you know, I'm I'm generally at the venue on Wednesday nights. That's my spot. You know, you know shout out to, to Reality and, and the Co-op Commission. Um, the, the venue is a spot in Cherry Creek, literally called Venue, V-I-N-U-E. And uh, every Wednesday, uh, Greg is, uh, uh, Reality is hosting um, Deja Vu Poetry, open mic poetry. And so um, I'm there. That's pretty much where I'm living. But I'm also traveling. I'm, right now, I'm actually calling you from Portland. And I just did a dope open mic last night. Uh, out here, so uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm traveling and trying to, you know, make connections and do my thing. Um, this is a vacation, though. I'm gonna go hang out at the Nike headquarters, <laughs> so at Action Cool <laughs> over there. But um, I, I, um, I'm not hard to follow. If you just follow Brother Todd, you can literally Google. You could Google me, and I will, you know, something that I'm doing is going to come up. So in the future, you know, I I intend to. Um, be more outspoken in the sense of our relationships, the black dynamic. I'm, I'm really trying to promote a couple of ideas. One is this paradigm of we have to tr- we have to create an underground railroad mentality about the justice system because uh, we can't wait for it to, for reform any more than the slaves could wait for. Emancipation. I mean, emancipation was passed, and the Negroes in Texas didn't get it for two years. We can't wait for prison to be reformed, and we can't wait for the criminal justice system to be reformed. We have to create a, a, a whole network and a system by which we escape. And I, I'm also promoting what I call Black Amity or Black Amity, which is this idea of we have to counter our trauma. And the and the uh, effect of slave post slave or the slavery and post slavery uh, life and experience and trauma, we have to counter it with this intense black love and respect. Um, I, yeah. I I framed it in the form of like I voted for Obama for political reasons, and I actually worked for him, but I also voted, and I, now I live. In the, in the fact that I voted for him because he was black, and I don't make no excuses for it. Mm-hmm. I, I, say, I say, look, we've gone through enough trauma and, and, and inhuman, inhumane treatment that I don't have to give you an excuse other than the fact that he's black. And so when I look at Kamala or I look at Cory Booker, if I look at them both, I'll, I'll choose between them for political reasons but in the big scheme of things, I will vote for one of those two before I vote for someone who has, doesn't have my interests. And mm-hmm. so I want to promote this black love, but I don't want to promote black love at the expense of accountability. 
I don't love R. Kelly, <laughs> right? Because this is a person who is adamant in his, and almost as adamant in his hubris of victimization. Um, but I, I think that we have to promote a sense of love so that we stop victimizing each other. You know what I mean? I When I was young, sis, I mean, I was a thug and I was really a criminal, but there were certain things like I never sold drugs. And I didn't sell drugs for one reason, because I didn't want to victimize my people. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I was a stick-up kid. But you know what I would do is I would go out into the suburbs and I would rob white people. I'm not saying that was a good decision. It was, it was a messed up decision. But the reason why was I didn't want to, I didn't want to rob my people. You know what I mean? I didn't want to victimize them. I didn't want to terrorize them. I wanted to, ter- you know, because I loved my people. Um, I want to take that sense, even though it was, that was misguided because I was still victimizing somebody, but I want to take that sense of I love you because I know what you went through. You know what I mean? And we got to stand on that um, a little bit better, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We have to stop victimizing each other because it's so unnecessary. You know, yeah. familiarity and, and it, breeds contempt, and we got to stop absolutely. that. <laughs> we we got to stop and it, that. And it, it creates this, um, when you understand the impact, first of all, when you understand psychology and you understand post-traumatic slave syndrome and you, and you recognize that you've been victimized by your people, it's a responsibility mm-hmm. to not re-victimize because we've been victimized, right? Like it's a responsibility right. where it's not um, – you know, for me, mine was like I would not call the police on on Halim, even though it was gross stuff being done. You know what I'm saying? But I knew, I also knew it would be. I also knew what the implications could be. I also knew death could happen. You know what I'm saying? Like what was happening? Like what was happening privately? If I called the police, he very well could have been shot upon. And that's right. not necessary. You know, there's five children. There's brothers and sisters. Like, there's still not. That's still not what was best. And I did. And you were one of the brothers I called. Like, hey, we need to figure out a system to hold ourselves right. accountable. We need hey, to absolutely, absolutely. You know, we have to have some level of like, here's a layer. This offense, you're going to the brothers' council. This offense, you're going to this. This offense, we gonna come beat your ass. You know, like whatever, right. <laughs> whatever it is. And that's, we're that's yeah, that's where I layer. came up. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where yeah. I came up. I came up. I came up with people, my family, um, my especially my early Muslim community, where we're not saying we we're not gonna call the police and therefore let you get away. There has to be a terrible right. when I. And I that and that was key. That was another thing that I I definitely when I you know our, me and your relationship was I I felt I I knew that you were making an effort in the sense of okay let me deal with this craziness but I'm not going to call the police but I'm going to call Taj and I knew that when you mm-hmm. called I had to respond and so yep. that's where we have to live in a sense of we can hold each other accountable. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're so scared about doing that, but that's but that's what it is. It's a fear. I, I, it's a fear because we're unsure. 
you know, we're so unsure of ourselves that we don't think that we, we can hold someone else accountable because again, we've been told, we've been told that we don't live a life of accountability, you know, even from a criminal standpoint, if we committed a crime, you know, black people didn't commit crimes in the sense of what we were, what we did were not considered crimes, especially in the South. If you stole something, you were just killed. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So there's no, there's no accountability when you're a slave. There's no accountability for anything except that you work. And mm-hmm. now you're free. And, and, and now we don't have this sense of accountability or how to hold account, you know, each other accountable. And not because we're bad. It's because of the, of the uncertainty. So we have to, we have to learn how to get out of that so that we can, we, we one can make sure that we're not victimizing each other, but in the cases that we do, cause we will, cause we're human beings, but people could stand up and say, yeah, I'm, you're, you're going to be held accountable. And that means also being available. You know, if we're going to say, brothers, we're going to stop, you know, calling the police on you, then we got to have somebody, somebody's going to get called because, <laughs> you know, we're not mm-hmm. angels, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're not angels at all. So um, I think, I mean, you hit it right on the head. I, I, that that part is key in terms of responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. they're there. And, and, you know, from a personal standpoint, as I'm trying to live, I'm trying to like, what is my responsibility? And how can I not only just be held accountable, but how do I promote, you know, accountability as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as as usual, I mean, I, I know I do this every show, but I do just, again, need to extend gratitude to you for being one of the few, very, very few, who <laughs> really stood <laughs> for that accountability and understood, like, we have to, we have to create this order of system and... Um, you know, I will say this, and I have always said this to sisters, if there is, listen, Taj is an MMA fighter. Like, he he humbly did not mention that, but, like, he's an MMA fighter. And, you know, if there's protection, he does, that's what he does as well. That's one of his many gigs that he does is he gives, he provides security. So, sisters, if you are in any type of situation, I have I have expi- I have given your information to so many women. Like, this is who you need to call, and if it if you're really ready. And I remember before you got locked up last year, um, you and I had a really deep conversation, and you was like, and you just said, you know, sis, you're gonna have to put a plan together because you're caught in this cycle, and and you and then you you really put in my face like the importance of knowing you have protection, but then also protecting the protection. And you were like, you know, it's going to get to a point where it is going to get that extreme. So you need to think about how you, you really want out. And when I heard you got locked up, it put a whole new perspective because now, right, I can't call you. So I, I right. put my plan in place. I put my plan in place, but it was that really hard conversation that you were like, you're going to have to, you you're gonna have to do this. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna have to yeah. do this. And I'll be there yeah. every time you call, but like it's it's going to get redundant and you are gonna get exhausted. So I just extend that that in sisters if there is ever a situation where you need someone to swoop somebody up real quick, it is it is time and if you go to <laughs> you're at Dorchester, right? Aren't you at Dorchester now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I know my gigs you know, I, I always, I'm always trying to, 
you know, I, I'm always doing something to security. So yeah, I'm down. I'm down right now. Uh, usually holding down uh, Dorchester on uh, from Thursday to uh, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I'm not there this weekend because again, I'm I'm hanging out here, you know, in in Portland. But um, I'll be back. I'll be back Thursday. So yeah, I'll be you know right back to it. So yes, yes. So. Um, yeah, just continue. I guess my last question is is around, well, my last two questions, and how do you want your legacy to be left as? Let's tell our own story and let's set that, that tone. So what is the legacy of Taj Ashid? Oh, my God. Oh, oh, man. What is up with these questions today? <laughs> um, I want I I I want my that's a quick, interesting question. I think I think that I I tend to think when I do think about this, I tend to think of it in terms of like a farmer. Like I don't, I have been fortunate to touch a lot of lives in some way, shape, or forms. I have cultivated connections with a lot of people and a lot of different people. Um, and I learned this lesson. It's it's straight out of the Quran, where God says, "I created you with differences so that you know each other." And so part of my legacy is I like, I, I hope that people look back and say he, he was able to make um, important, relevant connections with different people for the sake of promoting unity. Um, I also would like to think that I feel like if you're a black man, so if you're a man and especially if you're black, I feel like there's a duty of you have to touch people and encourage growth like a farmer. You have to do something, whether it's to plant a seed or it's to pull a weed or to pour some water. You have to do something. You should do something as... In, in that area, in those areas, to promote growth. If you're black and Muslim, I, I can't ignore that part. If you're black, you're a man, and you're a Muslim, more than anybody, I think that you have to promote growth. I have done it um, as a father and a stepfather or tried to do it. I, have, I haven't always succeeded. But even like now, like I, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I have a, tumult, a, a tenuous relationship with my daughter. We don't talk, but I, it's interesting. I don't. It doesn't. I, I hate the fact that we don't talk, but the, one of the reasons is my daughter's stubborn, and I love it, <laughs> right? Because she's me, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if she's being me in any way, shape, or form, she's gonna be okay. You know what I mean? Because no matter what, she is who she is because in a lot of ways of who I, of of me being her father. This is the girl that I made sure when she came home as an infant, 
I, I didn't sleep because I wanted to make sure she was still breathing. You know what I mean? This is the person I clothed and I fed. And so uh, she's 22. She just turned 22 um, a couple days ago. She's a grown woman, and she ain't so grown, but she's a woman because of me. And I don't need mm-hmm. to, you know, that it, that's the reality. I don't need a plaque. I don't need, you know, an award for it. But I've been satisfied in that. And so I would like to think that what I left behind or what I leave behind is a an image or a process of that encourages people. When you touch people, you should help them grow, period. Because mm-hmm. that's what we're all doing. That That is the human role. Our human role is to elevate. We're doing nothing if we don't grow. Uh, and I think that's why God created us. And so uh, that process comes from, in, you know, linking with other people. And so I would like to think that when it's all said and done, people say Todd was a farmer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I want to say um, we talked about this um we talk about this often just in passing, and I think people get uh, – there's there's perceptions of Islam, right? And uh-huh. I think uh, you and I have had these conversations privately like, duality, and this is where Islam comes from anyway, and how do we reconcile that, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. when we're talking about African community, right, and how right. Christianity and Islam was introduced. Um, speak to Speak to just – just quickly, if you can, I don't know if it's a quick conversation, but just how Islam has really um, aided you in your journey of your Africanness and your journey of being firm. And um, and you and I have had these harsh conversations as well as like, yeah, we do Islam and it's not this Arab stuff. Like we do it and we have a right. clear understanding of like, this is who we are, and it came from us, and y'all put it in a system, but it's very much comes from our ancestors. Yeah. So, I, I so where I'm at, I mean, I'm, I'm I just turned 49, um, and so I'm still, you know, I'm I'm almost 50, but I'm still learning. And the beautiful thing about my relationship with Islam is that it has been a process of growth. And I've had to learn things about the religion from experience, not not uh, you know not just from studying, but also living it. And that's the mm-hmm. key. I don't care who you are, what ethnicity you are, where you live. Islam has to be something that you not just learn from from the text, from the Quran, or from the teaching of the Prophet, but also something that you live, um, because. Islam does not live in the Quran. Islam does not live in the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. Islam lives in the walk of how Muslims live. Islam is what Muslims make it. Um, And because the, the idea of worshiping God and living in that has nothing to do with the Quran, and it has nothing to do with the Prophet, because that idea lived well before the Quran was uh, revealed, and that idea lived well before the Prophet was ever born. So I think it's it, that's what's pushed me in the sense of 
you know, from a, there are a lot of traditions and a lot of cultural aspects that we rail against and we bump our heads against and we argue against and we reject and take and adopt and over-adopt or whatever. But ultimately, um, it, it's a process. And I've always encouraged the process. There's no one way it looks, to be quite honest. Um, I, you know, I, I've been connected with Muslims from various backgrounds who show up differently. I have a son-in-law, my, you know, my daughter who passed away, her husband at the time is a scholar. He's one of the most renowned up-and-coming scholars in the world, and especially in this country. And then I, I have brothers who barely hang on, <laughs> but they're my peoples. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so it looks different, but I just think I always encourage the process because the, 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 core, the core belief is you believe in God and you walk in that. And we just so happen to, to, be, to, to walk in the sense of we have some clear direction in terms of the Quran and we have some clear direction in terms of the example of the Prophet Muhammad. But beyond that, it could look and sound and show up in a myriad of ways. And all I'm doing, all I think is key is that we just encourage that walk. Um, So how you look as a Muslim is going to be different than how I look and how someone else looks. But if we move in the right, in the same direction, that's the part that's most important. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've personally grown, especially as I've learned more, you know, learned the language more, read the Quran more, studied a little bit more, but also just lived and, and been connected with so many different, I've learned from so many different people from so many different cultures who are all Muslim. Um, and, it, and and I've been able to key off of that and just try to move in, in the direction. And look, here's what is everyone does, and I don't care who you are if you're a Muslim. The one thing that we all do, and it, and and the truth of it is, we all struggle. <laughs> like like that is the inherent part of being a Muslim is you have to struggle, and if you struggle, then you you you're you're okay. And that's the part that I encourage. You and I, all of our conversations have always, in my mind, had that that theme of, ooh, as long as you're struggling, sis, you've got to struggle mm-hmm. forward. You might not yep. get it right now. We may not agree on this right now. But if you struggle with it, then, you're, then that's the part that I mess with. That's the part yep. that we, we're going to be okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, in our last final minutes, um, one, I want to encourage our listeners. um, Again, we are at right around 50,000 listeners with live listeners, as well as folks who come back and listen to the recording today as the folks are off. So we are probably full with online listeners, folks calling in. Um, But I want to encourage everyone to go to the blog um, the holes and the soap opera parts that, um, you know, you're probably filling in blanks, go to the blog and, and read it. Um, it's, it keeps you up to speed as well, as well as gives clarity and you get an understanding. Um, been getting a lot of texts and saying they love your transparency and honesty, so thank you. So, you guys, make sure that you go find 
Brother Taj, I tagged him in all of the flyers. So if you're listening, it's because you knew about the show. So go follow him and tell, give him gratitude for, for joining us. Um, final words, brother, what are your final words in um, closing out and all that good stuff? Oh, man, final words. Um, first, I, look, I, I, I just am I, I'm just extremely honored that you have me on, um, sis. Um, and I'm, I've remained inspired by your walk and how you touch people. Want to give a shout out to all the listeners and, and, and I'm, I'm certainly welcome. Uh, you're welcoming to me is inspiring. So I'm, I'm welcoming to anyone who wants to reach out and, and further the conversation. Um, I just, I like to leave people with, the idea that we always have to um, be better. Today has to be a better day than it was yesterday in terms of what we do. Um, The human spirit and the human experience, I think, is meant to elevate. We're we're supposed to push into new directions, go into those areas that that we don't know, get the expertise, you know, uh, encourage people, love more, forgive more and know that this one thing, this is one, one of the probably most important lessons I've learned as of late is that um, your, your convictions, the things that you believe in, the things that you, that, that speak truth to you, they're going to be tested. You're going to come to some, you know, mantra or some slogan. that's going to make sense to you and you're going to adopt it. And you think then you've made it. And you haven't. You're going to be tested. Your conviction about forgiveness, about love, about growth, about blackness, all of those things are going to be tested because one of the things that God does is he gets to the truth of the matter. And if you say something or you believe in something, he's going to give you plenty of opportunity to see if you're really about that. And I think if we all are mindful of that, um, then and know that those challenges are going to come, and we welcome them. Uh, and, 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 and that is also then what will lead us to grow and also lead us um, to be better. So um, know that you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is and know that you're supposed to elevate and move forward and just, and just be better and treat each opportunity as something to grow from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, brother, it is always a pleasure, always an honor. Um, two hours seem to fly by whenever we talk. Know, we, are often, we are often on the phone, and we're like, yo, we've been on the phone for four hours. We should probably hang up and go eat. Yeah, this is, you know, the listeners, you know, we try to, I, you know, I know you try to format your show as a show, but when it's me and you, this okay. is a conversation, man. This is what this we is, do. Yeah, well. yeah. You guys, you guys just, get the for you job. listeners, yeah, yeah you, you guys are just flies <laughs> on the wall to stuff that happens all the time. This is the right, right. show. Right, right. Well, I love you, brother. Thank you for everything personally, for the community, um, for being a resource. And for standing and getting through, I mean, this is definitely a testimony all of us can say, like, this is what it means to, to show up and be a leader. And um, we value you and we appreciate you. And um, I feel like them. Like, thank you so much. Well, 
follow you too, sis. While I can slide, uh, have yourself a great day. I, I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Hit me when you get back from Portland. So tell me about the Nike the Nike headquarters. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Most deaf, most deaf. You be safe okay. and I'll holler at you. All right. Okay. Peace. All right, family, that was Brother Taj. Make sure that you go follow him on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, his Instagram and Twitter be live. And um, and he's just, a, he's just an awesome soul to know. We cannot wait to see you uh, next week. Next week it is the Awake with Offset, just Offset. We will be opening up the lines for free mini readings and getting everything together next month. Um, March, we're going to open up with Sister Lori with Derma Petite. She will be our guest, and I'm so excited. Uh, we missed her this this past, the first Monday of this month, so we're going to bring her back uh, so that March we can make that show happen. So all of your skin needs, but she's so dope. She's so spiritual. I'm so, I'm so blessed that I get to, like, just bring my friends and folks and products that I usually, that I do use. I'm looking at a Derma Petite product right now that, that we just, love our people and we're going to keep supporting and you really get to just eavesdrop on our conversations and how um, the depth and the level of our commitment to our people so we will see you next week it's just me and we're going to talk we're going to get us prepared for the mercury retrograde we got a couple more weeks before it happens so we're going to start doing that preparation next week and then we'll open up the lines for some free readings and then we'll be back on our cycle because it'll be march y'all we already in the third month 2019. I hope I hope time is being utilized properly for you. I love y'all. Thanks for holding us down as you usually do. Thank you for all the listeners, and we will see you next week. Peace. You are live on Awake with All Set on the new Evolution Radio Network.